Hello, and thank you for tuning into my podcast, The Haunted Homo. My name is Tyler. We're going to be talking about some themes in horror film, literature, and television. Tonight, I'm going to be discussing one of my favorite monster tropes in all horror films, and I haven't really read many books, per se, about these, but also television. Body Snatchers. So Body Snatchers as a word or phrase, have been around since the Enlightenment era, when people would go into graveyards or cemeteries late at night and exhume the bodies of recently deceased people so that scientists and doctors could um, study anatomy or perform different experiments on theories that they had about the human body, which at that point was still being um, fully uncovered to the broader society. Unfortunately, this caused a lot of existential concern because the idea was that when someone passed away, they would go into the ground and stay there and not be pulled back up by some rando after closing hours at the cemetery and then be used against the person's perceived will for science. So this has always had a bit of a negative connotation associated to the phrase. Um, the question of consent after death, um, how to handle human remains. It's still quite an ongoing issue, although it's changed now to um, antiquities. This is something that's going on in auction houses and the world's greatest museums where items human items and artifacts are being brought to question that they weren't given to these institutions with proper consent and that they should be repatriated back to their homelands. The body snatcher plays on real world cultural anxieties about what happens when we die. Not per se the spiritual element of that, but maybe the physical part. Um, part of this is because of Western society's kind of distancing itself from dead bodies. So a lot, none of most people in modernized countries have not really ever experienced death and what happens after death, what happens to the body. The death industry has mystified the process of what happens to a body between death and a viewing. So we, don't have a really constructed idea of what happens, and this causes a lot of anxiety. The first film I'd really like to talk about is Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It was released in 1956, uh, produced by Walter Wanger, uh, who also produced The Sheik and Cleopatra, both great films, and was directed by Don Siegel, who directed five major Clint Eastwood films. Uh, the film centers around Dr. Miles Bennell, portrayed by Kevin McCarthy, who I found out a couple days ago via my favorite podcast, Out on the, out on the Lanai, was actually a guest star on one of those episodes much later in life, and Becky Driscoll, played by Dana Winter. Uh, in 1994, the film was selected by the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress because it was culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. So if you haven't seen this film, you should really go out 
and find it. It is really great. I personally love black and white films. I think they're exciting. I know that can be a bit hard to get into with more modern audiences, but it is a classic in science fiction horror. It starts out with a young man, young, probably 30s, running through a busy traffic street, yelling, saying, um, they're here already and you're next. They've picked him up and taken him to a psych ward or they've taken him to the sheriff's department and he begins to recount his story of how in a town that he works in, people are starting to behave strangely, um, expressionless, um, apathetic, and it seems to happen person by person gradually. And then they discover that there are these one of the friends of this doctor uh, discovers a body on his property, and frighteningly, this body looks identical to the man who discovered it. But something seems quite strange about this body. It doesn't seem um, to be, as the person who found it put it, it doesn't seem to be to have been used. There's something missing about it. Um, kind of an allusion to a soul or inner internal mental workings. Um, and it obviously causes quite a bit of consternation. The wife of the man who finds this body sees the, the hand. It's very poorly done, but the hand sort of um, moves and she starts screaming and drags him out because this seemed to be realized this seems to be obviously some kind of connection between the fact that this is a identical unused body to the man who found it and they start kind of looking around uh dr bennell uh goes into becky's house she lives with her father she has a recent divorcee and moved back to the town they've kind of hit it off and i don't quite remember why he's in the house but in the basement of the house there's an ice box and a copy of her body is in the house in the ice box and so he runs upstairs grabs becky out of her bed and runs outside i think he takes her to his place so that she can be safe and explains things and it's kind of the father is, you know, not really having it. He's like, you, you're being stupid. You didn't see anything. Why are you in my house? That kind of thing. And the sheriff is also kind of like, eh, nothing, nothing big going on here. And it continues. And the initial couple who found the extra body and the doctor and Becky are at his house. And they go out into his garden shed for some reason. And that's when they discover these gigantic pods and they pop open and like there's foam and like a thing pops out with them. And they start in front of their eyes to grow copies of Becky and the doctor. And um, as the bubbles clear from the forms. The doctor takes a pitchfork and stabs his, and it's it's very springy when it goes. Um, and they decide they need to get out of town because they've come to the conclusion that the town is at a gradual pace being replaced by these pod people. And they have the initial couple go to their place to grab some things, and Becky and 
uh, Dr. Miles go to his office to kind of hide out there. And it's kind of quickly realized that the the first couple have also been replaced. Um, in the end, the, sh the, the town comes out in the morning and they're watching from his office as they're loading these pods into trucks to go to other places. And everyone in the town is in on it. They're all helping. That's when the, I believe it's the sheriff who was just kind of like nothing, you know, it's not a big deal. And his friend come to the office and they explain like, hey, you know, this is how it is. We're from a different planet. We're going to replace you all. And she just, you know, chill out. And the doctor's like, well, what if I, you know, don't want to be changed? And the sheriff alien says, well, you don't have a choice. Uh, which kind of is a recurring theme in a lot of body snatcher things. And it really is the central cultural anxiety that lack of consent not being offered to the victims of these body snatchers. So somehow Becky and Miles are able to escape. They're running. Um, it is alluded that the change happens very quickly that all that needs to happen is that they need to fall asleep. And they, this is very vague. Why create a new body if all you have to do is fall asleep and then you're replaced? So what happens to the other body? I, they never really explained this, but it was the 1950s. So they're running through a canyon. They're trying to hide from the townspeople who are looking for them to swap them out. And they're both dehydrated. They're hungry. They're very tired. And they stop in this little canyon and Becky lays down for a moment and closes her eyes for just one second. And Miles is trying to keep her awake. And as soon as she closes her eyes, her expression just deadpans and she slowly opens her eyes. And the, the view, the image of this is really fantastic. It's probably one of the best um, gifts I've seen on the Internet so far. And it shows Miles just kind of horrifyingly backing off of her. And she's like, it was that simple. All I had to do was, you know, close my eyes. Don't you want to have this, you know, release and rest or something like that? And he freaks out and runs and um, makes a comment about how people need to defend their wives and children uh, from these menaces, even though he doesn't have a wife or a child, he still, because of, like the patriarchal structure he fits into has that father authority. Um, it's very much parts of this film definitely are very dated. So things like that, it's very 1950s. Um, so he runs into town, runs into a street and he sees a truck pass like a large truck pass by and under the tarp above it, Inside the bed of it, he sees more pods and they're going to other towns and places. And he gets picked up by the police for causing a ruckus on a street. And that's when he retells the story. And there's a call in the police department. Oh, there was a, an accident and some a truck full of r strange pods. got. And they're like, he's like, that's them. Oh, my God. And they, they burn the pods and everything is OK, because, of course, um, so. So to, to unpack some of the interesting themes in it, um, this first film, this film really changes the trope from uh, creepy guys stealing dead bodies from gr their graves in the night to extraterrestrials stealing living bodies. 
at any time during the day, during the night, whenever it happens. So it's a very convenient way to other or use another because extraterrestrials could be a stand-in for anything, as I'll discuss here. Um, this was released at the beginning of the Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union. Um, I found this great article by Andrew Gordon titled A Case of the Creeps from Science Fiction Studies, where he basically says there were great fears of being run overrun by state systems like the Soviet Union and that the American propaganda of the time was that people who lived inside Soviet countries were basically just automatons. They went through the motions of their lives, they went to work, and they went home. There was no, like, none of this rugged American individuality, perceived mythos American rugged individuality. However, the film also kind of works for liberal elements <clears throat> in the United States at the same time, and under Eisenhower era, um, American complacency was a real issue and the fear that people were turning into totalitarian conformists. Um, so basically, this is, you know, expressed by the people who change, who are swapped by the pods. They become this expressionless kind of person. They have a united idea of what they need to do. This could be seen as soviet work mentality or american consumeristic conformity either way it was seen as kind of a loss of true individuality for a larger group and also having the main character be a very heteronormative white male a doctor and again i i know it's the 50s this is all films but it's something that we can comment on now looking back it also kind of touches on points about fears in the 1950s that other um, that minority groups were receiving further enfranchisement and more civil rights such as African Americans um, Mexican Americans uh, Asian Americans women were also receiving very slowly at least in the 50s receiving more rights this was seen as kind of a fear that the men who were in charge, the patriarchalness, or patriarchy, were being replaced, and they weren't such a big fan of that, and still are not. But this kind of covers that sort of fear, and they do it by inserting extraterrestrials, these aliens who can cover every other that you could possibly imagine, because they are the ultimate other. They're aliens from a, or extraterrestrials from a different planet. There have been three re-releases of this film, um, one in 1978, one in 1993, and another in 2007. I unfortunately have not seen many of these. Uh, and the 1978 one, I believe, has Leonard Nimoy, which as a huge Trekkie, I really have to see that one. That one moved it from a rural California town to San Francisco and was also sort of used as a commentary on... Um, urban life in San Francisco and how people didn't really, they weren't registering things that they should have been. And the 2007, I believe, has Nicole Kidman, and it's kind of a bit more science-y, has to do with spores, things like that. So another interesting um, body snatcher film is kind of a stretch as a body snatcher film, but I think it really works. The Stepford Wives. It was released in 1975, 
uh, based on a book in, from 1972 by Ira Levin. This is a cult classic, and usually it's seen as a commentary on the oppressiveness of the patriarchy and the constructed, constrictive societal norms expected of middle-class women during the height of the women's lib movement, but it, it really does count as a body-snatching story. The issue of consent is really stamped in in this film because of the focus on women's bodies and that has historically been the place where consent has the issue of consent has really been played out unfortunately um the victims of body snatching in film all film they don't subject to this willingly and it's the same result it's the loss of the inner self the soul the mind the conscious while the body goes on um but Stepford Wives introduces a fairly new fear um, being replaced by technology or the intersection of technology and the body. So my next example, I'm very excited to talk about this on my podcast. I'm a huge Trekkie and a lot of Star Trek is, at least when it comes to the extraterrestrials, they're seen as rather frightening, especially if they're villainous or enemies of the United Federation of Planets, the good guys. So the specific group that I'd like to talk about are the Borg. The Borg were introduced to Star Trek Universe in 1989 on the 16th episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. They became one of the most frightening and most destructive villains in Star Trek history, appearing in the story arcs of three television series, uh, that's Star Trek TNG, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Voyager, and actually four, Star Trek um, Enterprise. In two films, Star Trek First Contact, and we find out through that movie, or I believe it is uh, Star Trek Generations, that... The Borg are the reason that Whoopi Goldberg's character, Guinan, meets the original series' crew in Star Trek Generations because the Borg have assimilated the Elorian homeworld and they are refugees trying to go somewhere safe. I don't think they ever say that per se the Borg are the ones who do that, but it's kind of a back way of explaining that whole situation. So... The Borg come from the opposite side of the galaxy, from the civilizations that are presented in the Star Trek series. Uh, humans representing the United Federation planets are sent to Borg space as a way of testing them by Q, this omnipotent trickster person who just kind of pops in whenever they feel like it, um, to see how they would respond to something perceivably unstoppable and truly horrifying. So the Borg were made up of organic and artificial life. They are cybernetic life forms. They share collective consciousness or hive mind. There's no individuality among the Borg and their primary goal is to assimilate new species in their pursuit of further evolution and perfection. Traditionally, Borg is seen as a complete foil of tr the transplanetary entity the humanity and Star Trek is a member of. Whereas the Federation seeks to explore in conscious ways and research, the Borg consume without regret. They take their technology to a frightening conclusion, which they make themselves one with their technology, regardless of how it affects the people who intersect with it. 
So why do I include these this group with the body snatching trope? Uh, they do so, body snatching that is, in a process called assimilation. This is a very predatory act, which ideally in the series is called or occurred in large numbers and after a species had deemed been deemed worthy of being added to the collective. Um, individually, the person was injected with nanoprobes, which would begin a process of turning them into a Borg drone. So the Borg drones were, they're just numbered. Uh, one of the major Borg characters that occurs, uh, that is revealed in Star Trek Voyager, uh, goes by the name Seven of Nine. So they're named in their groupings of assimilation. No perceived individuality, just a part of a whole. Although the issue of um, the advancements of technology and the ethics of how far technology should go when it comes to working with people, another issue with the Borg is very much the fear of imperialism being taken over by a different force, your previous cultural um, expressions being wiped out by this force, um, and that's sort of the Borg tagline. So when people or ships or planets come in contact with the Borg, the Borg send out the signal that informs their victims that resistance is futile, that they're about to be assimilated, and the species or planet or ship, that its biological and technological distinctiveness will be added to their own. It even says that their culture will adapt to service the Borg. So it's very frightening way of talking about um, societies that have been under um, overwhelmed by conquering forces and had their cultures completely erased, completely restructured to fit the conquering power. Not to mention individuals in society are caught up in the conquering force. They lose all of their um, cultural identifiers, all of their heritage, and become just like the conquerors. The last um, film and book I'd like to speak about is Host by Stephanie Meyer. Um, this might seem like a strange one to bring up because it is not one of my favorites, but it is interesting to see how this book and film dealt with the same idea of body snatching. The host came out in 2006, uh, and the film was released in 2013. I like to think of it as a science fiction book for people who don't like sci-fi, um, in which parasitic aliens called souls invade Earth in a similar quiet manner to the pod aliens from 1956's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. The difference being that an organism is surgically put into human beings at their brain stems. Again, Consent totally out of the window. These people are not per se asked about it, but the souls, the souls are persistent in the ideal that they're actually saving humans. They're improving the earth, possibly, but it doesn't matter what happens to the humans after that. Once the soul, the thing that is put into the human at the brainstem, meshes in with the human, the human's consciousness is erased and the memories and knowledge that was there already is intact very conveniently for the soul, which has traveled through numerous different systems 
and done the same thing to different, uh, different, many different species. So it was just kind of a parasitic um, sponge that's collected all of these knowledges and memories from all sorts of beings. Now, putting aside my issues with the heteronormative expectations being reinforced, similarly to the ones found in the Twilight Saga, um, it really does totally water down the entire body snatching trope, at least in its modern form, to a very simple question um, that has haunted humans forever. What is a soul and how is it linked to the consciousness? How human existence is defined by individual personalities and consciousness? What happens when the consciousness is separated from the body? Um, it kind of goes back to very platonic ideas, the differences between um, the body and the soul mind, that these are two different things. And this sort of brings into question, you know, why, why does it matter? Why then do we have this cultural fear of our cultural anxiety of our bodies being taken and used without our consent and uh, losing of one's individuality or soul or um, consciousness. Although in these film, this film and book, the, the body is only seen as a vessel, it is really an interesting next step in this entire trope. What you find with horror is really all horror, whether um, when it comes to people, it's really about the body, how the body interacts with the environment, how the body interacts with other bodies, how the body interacts with the soul, and how all of these intersect, how the body is subjugated, how the mind is subjugated, how consent works with the mind and the body. So it's important that we try to, I think, unpack these things so that we can better understand these cultural fears and look at horror and see the deeper issues that are trying to come to the surface, that are trying to say, hey, you should think about this. You're watching a movie about it. So I hope it didn't sound too preachy at the end, but I really appreciate you've tuned in to my podcast. This concludes my fourth episode, which was on Body Snatchers. Um, issues of the body and consent. I hope you found this pretty informative. I'm working on a website to allow you to interact with me and send me questions or comments, and hopefully we can create a dialogue and continue the conversation. So until next time, I'm Tyler, the Haunted Homo, and you've been listening to my podcast.